Hello and welcome to VIP Moments. I'm Bianca Likes and in this podcast brought to you by VIP Magazine, I talk to well-known people about those defining moments in their lives, from the most memorable ones to the most embarrassing ones to the hands-down most challenging ones. In this episode, I talk to podcaster, wellness warrior and author Georgie Crawford. Okay, Georgie. Welcome to VIP Moments. I can't believe I actually have you here. This is a different podcast in that it's a podcast about special moments. Mm. And at the moment, I think you have a pretty special moment going on. Yeah. Um, from like, the well, a baby and a book at the same time. So, I mean, can you believe your look at the moment? I mean, it must be, must be just magic. Yeah, it is. And first of all, it's so, like, thanks for having me on the cover and all your support that you give me always it means so much to me and I love when you are interviewing me because oh, stop. <laughs> I know that I know we're soul sisters like we, we get are. it right yes yeah and it, it you know yourself yeah I and do know actually I yeah do know. I know what you mean so uh I'm so happy to be here but yeah it is it's I feel like I said to somebody I feel like I'm on a pink cloud at the moment you know there's always ups and downs in life and at the moment Everything is going really well. So I am so in the present moment and taking it all in and being so present. Also minding myself through this time, like with the sea swims and exercise and things like that. But I am pinching myself every day that this is what 2023 has become for me. Mm. We'll talk about present moments in a second because I want to talk to you about how you remain in a present moment because that's what we all struggle to do all the time and you seem to be kind of quite good at it so we need some tips. But let's just talk about the baby and and the book. But let's do the baby first because okay. that's bigger than the book. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I noticed actually in the magazine you said a baby and a book. Yeah. We can't believe our look. Yeah. I noticed that you put baby first. Well, yeah, it is bigger though. <laughs> is it tangible? I mean, the fact that the surrogacy is, you know, it's in another country, it's, it's far away. It, is it hard to, I don't know, to believe it yourself? Yeah, because I was just on my way in and I was in traffic outside Hollis Street. Mm. And that was the first time I've passed Hollis Street Mm. on this pregnancy journey. Obviously with Pia, I was in there all the time. And I used to walk around from work and I'd stand outside and I just feel, you know, so happy that this little baby was inside of me and thriving. So I had a moment there in the car a moment for myself mm. just to be like, oh God, like it's happening again and it's not the same. And that's really tough. But also I'm aware of my privilege that I get to go on this journey. And I can't believe that I'm going to have a moment like this with another woman. And I think so much of my journey over the last five years has been about women the soul sisters, the community, the love and support. So it almost feels fitting that this was my path. Now, you, you're you so busy always, like you always, now I know you're very good at taking time to yourself and, you know, self-care and all that, but you are busy work-wise. Um, what will happen when um, when baby arrives? Will you be able to switch off and <laughs> di- dial it down? Oh, so funny. Um, huh. And I know we're in a safe space and people listening to this podcast. I, I think we're really good now at not judging women, right? Yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to parenting. But my, um, my brother's girlfriend, Sophie, was up the other day and she said to me, 
Georgie, like, where's the baby going to be? And I said, in a crash. And she started laughing. She goes, no, Georgie, I mean, where's the baby going to sleep? <laughs> so uh, the baby won't be in a crash straight away. But I just thought it was so funny the way I'm, I'm obviously yeah. just so in work mode. Mm. But uh, I have Jamie this time. So, you know, yourself, when you're both working full time, Jamie went back to work after two weeks and I was just left in the apartment with this baby. Stranded. Yeah. <laughs> and and although my mum would come and help me and Jamie's mum, I just, I couldn't close my eyes. So I think, and because I won't be breastfeeding this time, yeah. uh, I think I'll, I'll be able to lean on the help a little bit more. I think I'll be more trusting of people yeah. around my baby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This time, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, it's all minefield. Um, a fabulous minefield, though. Well, the minefields can't be fabulous, like, but anyway, we'll muddle through, as we always do. Okay, so so that's the, the pregnancy moment, that magic that's going on at the moment. The book moment. You're, you're, you're top of the charts. I mean, you're glowing for, for obvious reasons. I mean, it's just incredible. I'll tell you about this moment. We had a show booked in for yeah. Christmas in the National Concert Hall. And I was in the shower, you know, the way in the shower you get a minute. All the ideas come in the shower, don't (laughs) they? All my best ideas, all my intros come in the shower. Here we go. What does that tell us about our lives? But I was in the shower and I had this thought or realisation that I couldn't do the show. And we were launching the next day. So many people had been working on the show, like we had the artwork, the National Concert Hall, we're all set up the site. Jamie, my agent Dave, Rebecca in the office, like everyone had Mm. worked really hard. And I was like, I can't do it. And I came out of the shower and I said to Jamie, I can't do the show. And Jamie is Mr. Productive, you know, big picture, good glow. And he was like, what? What are you talking about? And I said, I can't do it because if I announce this show, it's going to take over my whole life. Mm And I want to write a really good book. Jamie, as much as he tries to understand me, sometimes he doesn't. And that's okay, right? Jamie is not a... Jamie loves a podcast. He wouldn't read a book. Mm. So it was hard for him to understand the dream or the dedication that I wanted to give it. And then I had another uh, season of the podcast. I was like, I need to cancel everything. And I went up to my mum's that day, actually, because I needed to be in my own space to think about what I just said and the bomb I just dropped on Jamie. But I was like, I, and he tried to change my mind. And I said, no, I don't care. I don't care. I can't do it. And I also said, I need to be mindful of my health. And I don't want to release a book and not be 100% proud of every word that's in it. So that's what I sacrificed for it. And what a sacrifice. Yeah, but he he came around. Do you know that moment in Jerry Maguire film mm-hmm. when he quits and he walks out of the office and for one minute there's silence and then everyone goes back to normal? Yeah. So I was carrying this weight of this show and another season of the podcast and I was willing to sacrifice my own health and happiness for everyone around me. But actually when I said it and when I came out with it and said, no, I can't do it, after an hour, everyone just went back to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yet we're willing to suffer in my life before cancer. I mm. always, more, 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 I can do it. Don't worry, I'll survive. I'll be grand. 
those words just I'm wrecked just all the time in my space and in my energy. So now I'm like, I'm done. I've quitting time, like Jamie tippy toes up to me at if it's past 8pm to talk about the good glow. Same way I respect his boundaries in the morning that it's six o'clock in the morning. He's not, you know, dancing around the kitchen. So we really respect each other's wake up times or starting work times and quitting times. Because I think if you don't set clear boundaries and let other people know about your boundaries, people will just constantly cross them. Um, I love that this book was written in Dundrum Town Centre. <laughs> like I just, that, you know, I, that speaks to me because I love Dundrum. I love a shopping centre. I love a shopping centre. Mm. But I think it's fascinating that um, you wrote it with so much distraction around you and that the distraction gave you focus in a way. Yeah, it's funny. Because Isn't that funny? Yeah. Like I see Roxy Nafusi, you know, on a beach in Dubai, you know, in these really creative places. And I'm in Dundrum Town Centre. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Instagram versus reality. But there was just something about it. I, If I'm at home, I'm just constantly doing, you know, making things, soup, you know, soup dinner. For, always soup. <laughs> oh, it's always soup, isn't yeah. it? And stewy things or something yeah. like so in Dundrum Town Centre, I used to just put my earphones in and listen to the Gypsy Kings at full volume in Starbucks and just write. Um, and I always said I felt like Tom Hanks in the terminal, you know, when he lives in the airport and he's walking from shop to shop. I It was Christmas, like I was in a full length coat with a huge scarf, baseball cap. And I used to just... <laughs> Proper rock star. Yeah. It was like, yeah. I don't know what it was like. But I loved it. I loved that time alone. And did you reward yourself? Like if you wrote a couple of pages, did you re- reward yourself with like a trip down to Sarah or a trip of course. to course? Like, so how much, did you, how much did you spend during that time? Did you? I had to really watch myself because Jamie obviously, you know, would wave me off every day. Reluctantly. Yeah. <laughs> another, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. it was just another week of, of not working on the other side of our business and Becca as well. And um, sometimes they'd ring me an hour later and I'd be in Zara. And you know the way you're like, can they hear the music in here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Love it. But, you know, don't force yourself to write if you're not in the right headspace. Oh, no, you can't. You can't. Um, But I always say that, though. And you were asking me the other day, how do I write introductions to pieces and stuff? My best work happens away from the desk, Mm. you know, and in the shower and places like that where I'm when I'm walking, actually, I could write an entire introduction in my head when I'm walking or in the car. I love driving. But you need to walk away to be able to go back then and just, you know, clear your thoughts and sit down and then go again. Yes. Anyway, anyway, let's get into some of the moments. So I suppose... The, the book and the baby is very present. But if we go back to the past, what about your standout childhood moment? Is there a moment in your childhood that just really sticks out to you that you remember? It's more of a sense of um, my mum's dad, my papa. Mm-hmm. They lived in Terenure. I went to the local school in Terenure. So he collected me every day. And he I can I have more of an appreciation for it now because my stepdad and Pia are best friends. And Joe will say that all the time, like Pia is my best friend. They, all the kids are his best friends. And they call him Do because he always used to sing the A-team theme tune to them when they were kids. Do, 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 do. Oh, and we so went cute. on holidays <laughs> and I showed Pia a picture of Joe and I said, who's that? And she said... 
it was like for a minute she forgot granddad and she just said do so ever since then it stuck so I think he was like my do you know we were best pals I remember he used to um there was a window in the porch that used to open the small windows at the top of the window. And every time I was driving away from his house, he used to put his hands out that and wave to me. And it was just such a, of a sense of belonging in, with him. Um, and I remember Italia 90 getting thrown up oh, to really? the roof. You know? <laughs> yeah, I remember. I was five. You were five. Oh my gosh. Packy Bonner and the yeah. hands of God, wasn't it? Yeah. Is that, that, yeah, I am right, haven't I? I, th- I, yeah, I, d- I, I think, think so. so. I think so. Yeah. Um, I remember Italia 90 really clearly with him. Yeah. Wow. Happiest moment. Were they when you were a child or were they a, as, a, as, a, as a young person or as an, an adult? I think I'm happiest right now because I understand what makes me happy because I know who I am now. So I think when I was in my 20s, I was always like striving. I always wanted more. Like or I always said I'll be happy when I get the promotion or I have more money or I get the house. And it was always, I was never fully happy because I felt a lack of. But I think over the last five years, I'm honestly just happy to be alive. Mm. I think it's been weird over the last two weeks because in my happiest moments, I still feel it's like I have more of a fear of cancer. Mm. So in my day to day life, I don't think about it that much. But in my peak happiness moments, it's it's that fear almost becomes bigger. Why do you think that is? Because there's so much to lose. Yeah. Mm. Because I I love my life Mm. and I want to live it. Mm. So I think it just feels a bit scary. And I've work to do on that because I should be able to fully embrace happy, happy moments. I spoke to Courtney Smith about five-star moments on my podcast last season and it just took off and I explained that a five-star moment is a moment where everything is just perfect, you know. And I asked people to share their five-star moments with me and just to become aware of a five-star moment. And I received hundreds of photos of a beach, the sky, a tree, a cup of tea, a child's smile. And I could see... All of our five star moments are the same. We're all striving for different things and we all think, you know, different things will make us happy. But actually, when you strip it all away, our five star moments, we have we have them. They're free. We already have them. So just to connect with that. They are just moments, though, aren't they? Like, I mean, it's it is like it's a flash in the pan. It's mm. It's so quick. It could be a tree or it could be like my walk into town today. I stopped at Marion Park on the way through to the podcast studio here. And it was just the trees, you know, and they're so beautiful and they're so green at the moment. Um, but they are flashes in the pan. And they're gone. Yeah. Aren't they, though? A hundred percent. And then you go back to your your problems and your life or whatever you might be dealing with. But I think it's important when you're in a dark place to connect even if it's for a second because I feel like it just gets you out of it for a second and I I find and I don't do it as much now because I don't feel as safe but getting into the woods and like 
sometimes I feel mad saying it because it's so different to the person I once was. But just looking at a tree or just feeling a part of something. And I always feel held in nature like everything's going to be okay. You know, that sense of, you know, trust, just trust because... I feel, and and that's why it's so important to get to know what makes you feel better and try to connect with that when you can. There's such hope in nature, though, isn't there? But like, I I always, like, I'm always astounded each spring when you see the first flower, like, poking up, like, or the leaves unfurling. And it's like, how do you do it like? You survive the whole winter. You know, you've got wind and rain and frost and ice and snow, and you keep coming back. Yeah. You're so strong. You know, they take it all. They take all the battering and they keep coming back. And that's like us, really. You take the battering and you just keep coming back or trying to come back. Or There's such hope in a sunny day in Ireland yeah. as well, isn't there? Yeah. When when we can get out and get out for a walk or go to the beach and always say to people, like, why do you feel so happy on the beach? Well, it's usually because you're not wearing socks and shoes and you're grounding yourself in the earth. We have to go to the healing forest. Have you been I've, there? I've been there with you. I remember on our last shoot, didn't I go last, last oh, yes, year? Oh, yes, yeah. And yeah. now we were working, so it was yeah. different. I didn't bathe myself in the in the glory of the trees enough. Oh, I'm going to book us in. Book us in. Oh, my God, I'm so there. I'm so there. Okay, so that's our nature moment, actually. We've made a new moment. Wow. Um, <laughs> what about, what about uh, a mortifying moment? You know, those moments that like you actually never, the cringe will never leave you. You can never forget it. Oh. Or have you many of them? Loads. No, you don't. I you do. Don't. Do, you ha- do you have one, what, once a week? I See, I'm an overgiver. So well, we know that. Yes. I, yeah. So like, you know, the way you yeah. you sacrifice yourself to make other people feel comfortable. And yeah. then in the process, you probably make a fool of yourself. Yeah, that's what I do. But obviously, every time I walk Pia into school, it's a five star moment because that they're the days that I thought about in mm. chemotherapy. But I'm quite frantic in my heart and soul. That's kind of like in my DNA. So I have to be really conscious of like calming, bringing myself down. So Pia, I was bringing Pia to school one day and I grabbed a pair of sunglasses and stuck them on my head because I looked at myself in the mirror and I went, Jesus, my hair. So I stuck these sunglasses on my head and got out, walked Pia Pia into school. We have to walk past another school to to get to Pia's school and I bumped into one of the mums Um, that I knew from that school, I was chatting to her and then I was chatting to the lollipop lady. And this was when the kids would go into school differently. So we had to walk them up to the back door of their classroom and literally hand them to Mm. the teacher, POs and junior infants, and they used to sanitise their hands and things. So I was chatting to the teacher, how is it going? Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Turned around, saw another parent, got back into my car and I looked in the mirror. (laughs) Have you ever heard this story? (laughs) I looked in the mirror and there was a pack, a full packet of chewing gum stuck to my glasses. Stop it. How, like, so a full pack of chewing gum. So how, so you ask the question, which is the first thing that I thought, how the hell is that stuck to my yeah. glasses? It was stuck on with a used oh my God. chewing gum. <laughs> That's just absolutely brilliant. Oh my God, I love it. And I rang my oh, mum and my mum gets a fright if I ring her at eight o'clock yeah. in the morning because that's when I found my my lump was first thing in the morning. So if her phone rings in the morning, she freaks and she answered the phone. I was like, 
mom, mom. <laughs> she was like, oh my I was like, I just did the school room with a packet of chewing gum stuck to my head, and no one told me. <laughs> how can no one tell were, me? They probably were just like, okay. We're not sure how to approach this one. So the, how did you deal with it afterwards? Did you text the mother and say, sorry about the chewing gum packet stuck to my no, head? I went on my podcast Soul Sisters and I told my friend Claire about it. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't go near the school for about two weeks. No, you couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> what about Jamie? Can you remember the moment that Jamie was the one? I think I started to figure out that Jamie was the one because we were similar to each other and I'd never really dated anyone with that was so like me. And I thought, God, that that would be quite easy, actually. Mm. Um, and then I met Jamie's mum. And I think the moment I knew Jamie was the one when I met his family, mm. which is weird because that's not actually about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was just a sense of... He loved his family as much as I loved my family. So I felt we were like a match made in heaven. And I knew that I would always encourage his relationship with his family. And I knew I would get the same because my family, to me, like we'd call ourselves the party of five growing up. Like we are best friends, all of us. Now, obviously, we have our moments. We're not perfect family. But... When I saw Jamie's family, I was like, they're amazing. I would just love to be a part. What amazing in-laws to have. And his mum, he loves his mum as much as I love my mum. There's lots of moments that um, I would imagine have challenged you and shook you. Obviously, Jamie's diagnosis was one massive one. Then finding that that lump. What is the one that stands out of all, that most shocking or the most challenging that you've had so far? I think it was, it's so weird. It's almost like Jamie's diagnosis shook me more Mm. because Jamie was diagnosed with MS when we were dating. And I think it was more shocking because I think finding a lump in my breast almost broke my fall for the news that I had cancer. So I had five days to prepare for it. But with Jamie, it was 2012, he got a numb face Mm. and we were at a wedding and he kept saying, I feel weird, I feel weird. And I was like, you're grand, like he's a workaholic. And I was like, you're just stressed. Jamie used to drive to work in the dark and come home in the dark. Mm. I was like, just chill out, like you need to have a few days off. And he kept saying, no, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. And then he went to his doctor and his doctor checked him into a hospital for a week. So for me, is there an episode of Friends or something or Phoebe plays this? It was her sister, wasn't it? That went into hospital and was like on meetings and stuff like that. And he was like that, right? So he was this like, I didn't really understand it. He was this busy CEO. So I just thought he's really stressed. And then someone mentioned a stroke. I was like, oh, you've probably just had a stroke or something. <laughs> just had a stroke. So just naive. like that. Yeah. And he kept saying, no, I think of MS. I think of MS. They're doing all the tests for MS. And I was like, Jamie, you don't have MS. And I was sitting at my desk. I was reading the breakfast news. And everyone in work was like, where's Jamie? Where's Jamie? I was like, oh, I don't know what we said. We made up something. And I was sitting there. And I, in the morning, I used to do my makeup at my desk at eight o'clock. And I was doing my makeup in between news bulletins and my phone rang and it was really weird 
that moment, that day, I was like, I feel like this is the last time I'm doing my makeup in my life as I know it, because Jamie was getting all of his results that day. So my phone rang and I answered it and Jamie was like, I have MS, I have MS. And I was like, what, what? And I remember I had a huge big bag at the time. And I literally scooped all of my makeup off the counter into my bag and ran out the front door. And Michael, who was my boss at the time, was texting me and ringing me because he knew Jamie was in hospital. He's like, where have you gone? I, like, what's happened? What's happened? And I was like, I have to go. I have to go. I don't know who read the news that day, but I went outside um, the malt house and I got down on my hands and knees and I couldn't breathe. This lady came up to me and she's like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, ah, I was screaming. I was like, oh my, oh my God, I just got really bad news. I was like, I, I have to go, I have to go. And I ran to my car and drove to the hospital and he was standing outside the hospital with his mum and dad, devastated, like. And that I think was one of the worst moments in my life because with the cancer, Jamie had me. You know, and Professor Hill, I felt very like held Mm. in my cancer diagnosis. But with Jamie, it felt like our world had ended. I wonder, is that because it was happening to someone so close to you? It wasn't happening to you. So you Mm. were kind of out of control. Whereas even though you were out of control with your cancer diagnosis and you didn't know what was going to happen, at least it was you that was going through it and you could hold yourself in a way. I know you felt held by others. Um, or was it because it was MS and it's slightly the unknown? You know, we know little about it. So when I got the cancer diagnosis, Professor Hill immediately reassured me. Mm. But with MS, and this was like 12 years ago now, I think, 11. Like that night when I was in hospital in the Hermitage with Jamie, he made a bucket list yeah. of like things he wanted to do because we didn't know yeah. what was going to happen next. We didn't know if this was going to literally stop him in his tracks within a year. We had no idea. And we went for the his yearly follow-up and we were preparing for, you know, mm. the worst. And his doctor said there's been no new lesions. I think that's when we could breathe. So how is it how is it managed now? Because he is very well. He's fine, isn't he? Or or, or is it managed with medication? How, how does it all work? Yeah, he's on medication. He is when he got that diagnosis, he changed his life. You know, he started to eat really well. He started to exercise. Um, started to manage his stress much better. But it took him like it was really bad for a few years. Mm. And all of my friends, because mm. I didn't tell anybody. Mm. No, my friends couldn't understand where I'd gone. Mm. And I remember my friend Audrey being like, you've changed so much, you know, since you've met Jamie, you never come out anymore. They didn't know that I was holding Jamie in my arms, sobbing every weekend. I couldn't tell anybody. Obviously, my mum knew and my family Mm. and his family. But it was such a lonely journey for us. But there's so many people in Ireland with MS that haven't told their family. And why? What's what's the what's the shame in, in it? I think there's a huge stigma around it, and there's so much progression in terms of mm. medication, and that's why I'm so glad that Jamie spoke out because I want him to give other people hope. Because look at Jamie, ten years on, you know, doing ultra marathons and living a great life. 
So I was really, it took him eight years, but I was really glad he got to the point where he wanted to share his story. So inspiring moment. Would it be after your cancer diagnosis, after you got the news that the cancer hadn't spread, that you were sitting watching that documentary um, by Tony Robbins, I Am Not a Guru? Would that be one of your inspiring moments? Yeah, that's my before and after moment, yeah. really. And I, sat I don't mean to put a, put in a moment, no, moment into, into your, into your no. deciding that is your moment, Georgie. That is what it is. <laughs> But it is. Um, The Tony Robbins documentary, I sat down to watch it the night that I found out that my cancer hadn't spread. And he said, he said something that changed my life. He said, your biggest problem in life is thinking you shouldn't have problems. And I'd spent my whole life trying to avoid having a problem. And that's why I was such a people pleaser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I do, I'd bend over backwards not for someone not to have a problem with Mm me. So... When I heard that, I was like, whoa. And he said, life happens for you. And I couldn't see it at that moment. I couldn't see what do you mean life happens for you. But it was it was how I was able to face each and every day after that. So life is happening for you, not to you. Mm. I'd never thought of. I know. It, it is a totally different like perspective, isn't it? Totally. Because you're like, oh, poor me. Oh, for goodness sake. Why is there no car parking space? Why is that light red? I'm in a rush. Yeah. And then, you know, the bigger problems on top of that, they're just obviously the, the tinchy ones. Mm. And that's why I think when the surrogacy fell apart mm. in Ukraine, sometimes there's shame around bad things happening to you because you do, people might say without meaning to say it, geez, geez, you have no luck or yeah. bad things always happen to you guys. And that makes me afraid to like, step out my front door every day if I believed that yeah 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 so when when I got that life happens for you I was like yeah Jamie got MS I got cancer but this is here to bring us somewhere else and I can't see it now because I need to grieve and I'm in so much my heart is broken but maybe one day I'll be able to see why I said at the beginning of the podcast that I wanted to talk to you about present moments and <laughs> I wanted to go back to it so I'm going back to it now because I think that our listeners can benefit from from listening to this guru in front of me here and now uh, how to stay in the present moment because it's very hard to do isn't it so do you consciously purposely bring yourself back to each present moment all the time or have you have you got better at it with practice absolutely because I hit a rock bottom moment with my self-worth and that exact problem in um, 2021 in October and I was catastrophizing about everything. What if no one listens to the Good Glow next season? What if, you know, people don't like me anymore? What if I get cancelled? You know, what if the trolls take over my life? You know, all of these sort of stupid things. And I said to Jamie one night, I can't take this anymore. And he was like, you need to help yourself. Why can't you see all of the great things that you've done and the great things you are doing? And instead of then worrying about losing everything or things going wrong or holding things too tightly, I decided to just trust more and just wake up in the morning and think, what can I do for myself today? And I can't worry. I can't worry that no one will listen to The Good Glow in five years because 
if I remain open, if I listen to everything I've said in my book about trusting life, something else will come along. But you have to be open to it. So before, when I worked in radio and the only outcome for me was getting this promotion at 98FM, so much so that I abandoned everything else in my life, my relationship with myself, you know, my health, my my journey, my you know, road to evolving. I just was like, no, this needs to happen. And when that happens, you know, everything else will work out. Whereas actually, if you're open to what's coming your way, you can go on the most unexpected journeys. So with the good glow, and I've tried so hard to separate it from my self-worth because I actually like who I am as a person and I'm not my business. So I've really, really tried to step back from worrying about the future because I've seen time and time again that what you think is a really bad thing at the time is often just bringing you to somewhere else incredible. Yeah, Yeah. it's just the fear, isn't it, where it's, you know, the fear of the unknown and the fear of where it'll bring you. Yeah, You know, the, 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 the new pathway, the new road can be scary. Well, it is scary. It's having the fear to just let go and just go with it. That's brave, though, isn't it? It's really hard to do. Okay, so I'm going to end with this with this um, last moment. You said at the very beginning of the show that um, you feel like you're on a pink cloud. So it is a bit of a pink moment that you're having at the moment. You're also wearing a pink miniskirt. <laughs> I have your pink glow book on the table here. It is all very pink. And I wrote in, in the editor's letter at the very beginning of the magazine about um, how Helen Steele, designer and uh, fashion designer and artist Helen Steele, spoke to me before about the power of the colour pink. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And how it, it is actually a colour that calms. When you say you're on a pink cloud, what, what, what do you mean by that? I was speaking to Wim Hof last week and he said, the most important thing in life is love and family and friends. So when I'm on this pink cloud, it's not because my book went to number one. It's not because... It's not because of that. It's actually because in the last month, I have been shown so much love by people and I said this at my book launch in the Marion when all of these amazing people showed up for me and were talking about my book and VIP magazine and just the support I've had over the last month makes me just feel so happy because and I said this it's like if you look at life like a mirror It made me see, I have been doing good work over the last five years and I have supported and loved people because I'm getting it back in spades right now. So when I'm on a pink cloud, it's certainly not because my book is number one. It's because I've I've, I can I feel very loved and I hope that I can just put that back out into the world. Right. I was was sitting in my car. Uh, Claire recommends a song for us every week on Soul Sisters and she recommended Take That, Never Forget. And I sat in my car last week and I listened to it and the line came up, someday this will be someone else's dream. And it made me so grateful for my dream is coming true right now, but I want to pass that on and and support the next person that goes on a journey Well, well like you that. have passed it on because Glow is the pass on. 
that's the parcel. That's past the parcel right there. I mean, all these people are reading this book benefiting from what you've written, benefiting from your stories, from your experience, from your perspective. So thanks for giving us the glow, Georgie Crawford. And thank you very much for joining us. I I could talk to you forever, (laughs) Bianca. (laughs) Come on then. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Georgie, for joining me on VIP Moments. And thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Georgie's chart-topping debut book, Glow, is out now. Chat again soon. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. VIP Moments, the podcast series brought to you by VIP Magazine.